everybody. It is Corey Poirier back with a new edition of the Let's Do Influencing Show. And I'm really excited to have a brand new, but also first time guest with us today, Anjanita Prevost. And Anjanita, I'm so excited to have you here today. And where we usually like to start things off is to get our guests to tell us a little bit about themselves rather than me reading a long bio. And then we'll jump in a lot deeper anyway, as we go along. But can you tell us just a little bit about who you are? Absolutely. So I'm originally from New Orleans, Louisiana. And um, I grew up twirling batons and dancing in Mardi Gras parades. And I had a fairly fun childhood until it was interrupted when I was about 12 years old. And I found out that my who I thought was my mother was not my mother. And um, I was immediately whisked off into the sunset with my biological mother. And later on, I ended up in foster care because she was not fit to be my mother. And I ended up in foster care. And my teens were filled with going from group home to group home, living at the children's shelter, and you know, trying to make something of, of my teen years when most little girls were out, you know, going to the prom or you know, shopping at the mall on the weekends, I had to work because I was essentially the ward of the state. And I was aged out of the foster care system when I turned 18. And that's essentially how my life began. And I've experienced every financial hardship you can possibly imagine, homeless, jobless, carless, cashless, and parentless. I often say, try living your life without a mother or a father and then talk to me. Hmm. But essentially, you know, that gave me the courage, that gave me the strength because I didn't want to be a statistic. I remember when I met with my social worker and probation officer when I was 15 years old at children's court, and uh, they told me, they said, look, kids like you, especially, you know, little black girls, you know, the odds are, are, are not high for someone like you. And you're going to have to work really hard. And I kept that in the back of my head and still do to this day. And it's what motivated me and inspired me to not become a statistic and essentially what I did out of pure survival was made sure that I stayed on the other side of the system and developing myself. So I like to say that there were three skill sets that saved my life, sales, communication, and networking. And, and, and those are, are the reasons that I'm here today. Wow. That's, I mean, such an amazing story. And, you know, I want to, of course, unpack some of that. I mean, I don't get to hear a story um, like that that often. I mean, you obviously, um, you know, it wasn't, I'm, I'm sure, easy uh, along that journey. And can you, perhaps we'll start here, but can you tell us a little bit about what you feel helped you in terms of resilience? Like, where did you get that resilience? Well, I think my surrogate mother, she was really good at protecting me and instilling belief in me. So she believed in me and I had a level of confidence when I was growing up because she believed in, in me. And, and remember, I didn't know she wasn't my 
biological mother. I thought she was my mother. I didn't know that. And it wasn't until, unfortunately, I met my biological mother that I realized like this woman really shaped my life. You know, she gave me the strength, everything that I wanted to do from dancing to performing to writing, you know, going to Hollywood, all the things I, I dreamt about doing. She was the one that said, yes, you can. And I just owe it all to her. Unfortunately, she passed away. She died of a seizure when my biological mother got custody of me for a short while after I turned 12. Mm. And so I guess then, I mean, and, and a lot of times we forget that the power of having, you know, the right person behind us or the right yep. mentor. Yep. And so now have you, this is just a, it's kind of a flip the switch here, but have you tried to do the same for other people? Like tried to be that for other people or tried to uh, give other people, you know, that extra confidence or gift that they need? Well, in the beginning, I felt flawed. You know, I, I felt because growing up in foster care, you know, you're labeled, you know, unwanted problem child, you know, like all of the negative, you know, things. And so I didn't really think that I had anything to offer. You know, when I, when I turned 18, it was about survival for me. And it wasn't until I was in my early twenties that I started to see that, you know what, I have something to offer. I'm, I'm a fairly good person. I'm, I'm intelligent. And, you know, I had been working at that point for gosh, seven years. So I developed confidence and when I realized that I had something of value to offer, then I started to help people voluntarily. Sometimes they didn't want my help and I would just help them out anyway. And I was always the advice girl. So my girlfriends would come to me and ask for advice. And um, when I moved to Hollywood and I was pursuing my career in the entertainment business, I was always the one that cheered my friends on that were dancers and actresses, you know, I, I was there for them. And also I was there for them when they were going boyfriend drama as well. But um, I think later on how this all came, you know, full circle was I was approached by an organization to ironically, guess what, mentor foster girls. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And so I worked at the Merv Griffin Ranch in Southern California and I mentored foster girls. And that was amazing. That was really powerful. And, and I felt like, okay, now life has come full circle. I'm doing something that can help other girls, but also I understand what they're going through. And a lot of people don't understand why kids end up in foster care and how they end up in foster care. A lot of people don't understand. There's a lot of misinformation out there. Um, and, and so it's, for me, it's important to show people, you know, to tell people the truth, I should say. Now, how big a part has, um, I guess, the, both your past and your, your past life and story uh, and the world you live in today, how big a part has all that played in the business that you run today? Because I'm often curious, 
how the two relate. Whereas I know some people, their backstory is completely responsible for their business. Other people, it's not connected at all. So I guess I'm curious, is it connected for you? And if so, how is it connected? Oh, definitely. It's, it's connected. I didn't, I didn't always think that it was connected because, you know, when I was aged out of the system, I did what I had to do and I, you know, I had to get a job. And so I just learned, you know, these skills along the way, but what's happened now is I realized the value of those skill sets. Cause remember I didn't go to college. Mm-hmm. So everything I learned, I learned through obviously self-study experience, mentors. I've had lots of mentors, coaches, advisors, like you name it, you know, <laughs> you know, I've lots of people um, that I work with and, and have worked with over the years. So for me, I think it was a natural progression. And also I, I saw a need in the market. It wasn't something that, you know, I just like, you know, decided one day I really looked at the market and, and realized, okay, going back to value, I think I have something to offer. I think I can, I can help women, you know, even though I'm flawed, you know, I have many imperfections and you know what, Corey, that was something that I struggled with because I thought that in this whole coaching expert world, you had to be perfect. Mm-hmm. And I thought, who's going to listen to me? Because like, I'm the foster girl. <laughs> like, I was aged out of the system. I didn't go to college. What do I have to offer? You know, so I struggled with that for a while. And people kept saying, no, you're really good. And, and I really like the advice, you, you know, you're giving me. And um, you're a coach and you're a trainer. And I thought, me? <laughs> so I had to get over myself. Let, let's say that. Yeah, it's, I mean, you're, you're so right that that's a major struggle I find with so many people is this whole idea of us thinking nobody wants to hear my story. Nobody wants to hear my message. And, you know, I, I mean, it's funny, it feels like a long time ago, but I struggled with that so much when I started, you know, here I was raised by a single mother. My father lived 15 minutes away, but wasn't an active part of my life. And, you know, part of me thought, well, if my own father doesn't want to play an active part in my life, why would anybody else want to hear my story? And then, you know, I think I may have shared this with you, but barely graduated high school, didn't know the difference between fiction and nonfiction when I graduated. And so, yeah, I totally get that because I struggled for so long with this idea of, well, why would anybody want to hear my voice? And then when we finally give our voice to other people and have somebody say, this changed my life in some way, then we realize I'm doing a disservice if I don't get out there in a bigger way. So, you know, I love that you shared that for you, it was hard at first. And, and that question of, does somebody want to hear what I have to say? Exactly. Because I was embarrassed, you know, I, I didn't want anyone to know that I was a foster kid. So I, I that was the last thing I wanted to share. And, and it's, it's ironic because guess what, when I introduce myself now, it's the first thing that I share. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and let me ask you this. Um, I, you know, I'm curious, do you, for you uh, personally, do you find that when you share that story now, it's the thing that resonates most with people, the story you were scared to share at first? All the time, all the time. I mean, I have a big conference, actually. I'm speaking with the mayor of London on Thursday and, and, um, and so I'm going over my talk and, um, and guess what they asked me to make sure that I, that I include, right. Um, that journey 
of you know that foster care journey because foster care is 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 an issue in the UK as well, and so they want me to talk about that. So it, it, I smile, I laugh, you know, because again, I didn't want anyone to know. I thought people were going to judge me, even though people still do that at times. But I just thought it was such a bad thing, you know, a parentless child, unwanted child, a foster child, a child that was, you know, aged out of the system. Oh my gosh, you know, all of those things. Yeah, like I say, it's so amazing. I find that the thing we're most scared to share is the thing that ultimately brings us closer to more people and allows us to impact more lives. So, you know, I, I experienced the same thing that you have. So I love that you've experienced that. And, you know, at the same time, uh, I find that people, it, it, what it does too is what you said was so crucial because we try as, you know, whatever that term you put on somebody, but when you're out there, let's say as an expert in that space, we try to carry this certain air about us because we're worried that people won't take us seriously if they hear our warts and all. And then, like I said, the warts and all is the thing that actually changes their life the most. So it is kind of intriguing how the thing that, again, we want to hide the most is the thing that allows other people to see us as humans. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and it's a gift, you know, and, and that's how I, I see it now, even though I was embarrassed and, and ashamed, it's now a gift because I'm on the other side and I'm, I'm grateful for that. That's amazing. And so now the other thing I wanted to um, ask you about is I wanted to dive in further into the business, uh, the idea of the billion dollar Rolodex. Can you tell us <laughs> what that's all about? Because obviously that has one of those names that just kind of makes you go, I need to know more. So can you tell us a little <laughs> bit about that and a little bit more about it? Yes, Corey, you have a billion dollar Rolodex. <laughs> Definitely, definitely. You have one already. Aww. Well, this all came to light because I've always been a networker and um, I started my career, I should say, my first job was working in a, in a real estate office. And then I wanted to work in beauty and fashion. And so I received a grant from the state of California and then I wanted to go to Hollywood to become an actress and a dancer. And so I did that. And I always had a knack for connecting with the right people and, and being at the right place at the right time. And over the years, and, and remember, you know, going back to that financial hardship, it was my network that saved my assets. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I, I, I took it for granted, I'll, I'll say, you know, I, I, I just thought that's what people do. And then people started asking me to introduce them to people. And I was always the person that was making the introductions and the referrals. And about three years ago, maybe a little longer, someone said, you have a million dollar Rolodex. <laughs> and I said, I said, that sounds cheesy. I don't know about that. And um and I played with it. And then, and then, and then someone said, well, I'm going to call you the billion dollar Rolodex babe. And I thought that was really cheesy. <laughs> and I decided to do a test run and I did a, I did a webinar actually. And it was a hit and I thought, okay, fine. If people like it, I'll run with it. And so essentially, you know, that is uh, the brand that I created billion dollar Rolodex. And the whole idea is 
to build a powerful and influential network, but that is built via social capital. So I'm a huge component of building social capital. So most of the time when we hear networking, especially in, in the women's space, you know, women think, oh, networking is just getting together and, and chit-chatting. But I train women to build social capital and monetize their network. So you have to be very strategic and build those relationships over time and be able to spot the opportunities at the right time. You know, that's, that's the key. And you have to be ready for the opportunities as well. So one of the things I love about that, probably because I just had the conversation today, is the idea around monetizing it. And I think, and, and you can you know, tell me your experience with this, but I feel like for a lot of people, it's a dirty word, but a lot of people also don't realize, and, and I love this quote, and I don't even know where I heard it. I mean, I'm pulling it out of the air because I don't remember where it came from, but the quote is something along the lines of, you can't shine the light on or for others if you can't keep your own lights on. Yes, yes. I, I want to get your thoughts around this with monetization. Do you find that some people struggle with it at first because it feels like a dirty word, almost like sales is a dirty word? Is that what you experience? Or? Yes. And I'll tell you something interesting. So I had a brand called Selling in Stilettos before Billion Dollar Rolodex. And um, I was essentially crucified because I was teaching women how to sell. And, uh, and women didn't like the fact that I combined selling with stilettos, you know, some women, I should say, I don't want to generalize, but it was because I was forcing like the sale and I was talking too much about money and uh, some women don't really like that. Here. I don't know what that was. Sorry. Uh, sorry. Yeah. I, I don't know what that was going on. Something just popped up on my screen. Um, but sorry, you said some women don't like that. I'll just cover it. Yeah, they, they, they think it's a dirty word to talk about sales. They think it's a dirty word to talk about money. And remember, you know, my background, right? Like I had to, you know, fight to survive and thrive in the world. So I don't have those issues around money. I don't have those issues around selling myself, you know, so I want to have those conversations and I invite women to have those conversations because that's why our gender, you know, when, when we look at the, the gender equity gap, that's one of the reasons because women don't want to sell. They don't want to talk about money. So, you know, I will talk about it all the time. And I use those terms, you know, monetization, money, wealth, you name it, capital. <laughs> I know all the words, absolutely. And so in your experience, why do you think it is that so many people struggle with this? Like, why do you think so many people struggle with the idea of money being okay and sales being okay? Because, you know, we've been doing it since the beginning of time, even back to bartering. And so why do you think it is so many people struggle with this? I think women struggle with it for two reasons, because there, there's a narrative that we are supposed to depend on a man. You know, and, and a lot of women still buy into the man is supposed to do the work, the man is supposed to take care of the woman. A lot of women still buy into that narrative. And then on the flip side, a lot of women grew up in households, households that did not talk about money in a positive way. So, you know, I grew up in the projects and I remember 
going to Saks Fifth Avenue for my birthday as a treat. It was just a treat. And I remember feeling like I was rich. And I remember saying that I'm rich. And I remember, you know, in the projects, they thought I was a crazy little girl. But there was just something, you know, that my surrogate mother instilled in me that allowed me to believe that I'm rich, that I, that I could achieve wealth. And so I think that those are the two narratives that women struggle with and they sabotage themselves. So they don't make the sales calls. They don't ask for the job. They don't ask for the opportunity. They don't ask for the sale. You know, they want to do everything else except ask for the sale. And it goes, you know, going back to networking, it's why they don't monetize their networks because when they show up, they're not asking the right questions. They're not asking the right people. They're not following up. And then they wonder, well, well, why doesn't this work? You know, because you're not asking because you're not in that mindset of making money. Like every, every business is built on, you know, obviously transactions, but those transactions are cultivated via relationships. So if, if you're not asking questions and, and building those relationships, you know, you're, you're not going to have a business and you're not going to make money. Yeah, it's so true. And it's, well, and I'll ask, I mean, this is another, I guess, direction I'm curious to go. And then I want to take us down another path, but I want to ask you about the idea of, what's changed in recent years, meaning do you find with the advent of technology, us being able to be online and connect socially, um, raising more awareness because we're all so connected around the fact that women struggle perhaps more than men with, as you said, making the sale or asking for the sale or monetizing, do you find it's getting better in any way, shape or form, or do you find it still the same as it's always been? It's getting worse because we're, it's getting worse. I know. I know. Well, well, look at this. We we are connected, but we are not connecting. And I've experienced this firsthand. Women are more excited to brag about their metrics. So, for example, they they'll tell you they have ten thousand followers, or five hundred likes, or two hundred fans. You know, whatever. They brag about those numbers. But when you ask the hard questions, how many sales have you converted? How much traffic are you driving to your website? What is your closing ratio? What is your conversion ratio? You know, like they don't have those numbers. What, what's your open rate? Like they don't have those numbers. And they get very uncomfortable. And business is built on those numbers. There's only about what a fraction of people that can actually build you know, multi-million dollar businesses based on metrics. So why is there so much focus? Because we're relying on ego, right? Because we want to feel good. We, we want to look popular. We want people to think that we have all of this, you know, attention. But that attention often is not leading to anything, I think, empowering financially empowering, I should say. Wow. It's, I mean, such a great point that I never thought of it that way that, you know, obviously the metrics of how many followers I have or how many people commenting or what have you, uh, being such a different metrics than what is the conversion from that. I never thought about the fact that a lot of people would struggle with the difference between that. You know, like you said, it's 
it's amazing how somebody's okay with saying I have this many followers, but maybe it feels a little more icky to look at, am I converting them? That's all that matters because that that's that's how you're making the money. Unless you're, you know, Kim Kardashian with I don't know where, where she's at now, a hundred million, you know, Instagram followers, but I mean she's made a hundred million dollars, you know. So I, I think that that's that's doing women a disservice because they're just focused on those metrics too much. And and we have stats, you know, six percent, only six percent of us earn a hundred K. 4%, depending on who you ask, I, I think it's 2% of 4% um, American Express and um, the great Sharon Lecter, she just recently says it's about 4% of women business owners cross the seven figure mark. So, you know, there, there's, there's definitely a conflict there because if you look at social, everyone's rich and famous, but you look at the, the business stats, the financial stats and, and women aren't, aren't, um, making more money. Wow. I, I mean, I didn't have any idea that those were the numbers. That's, that's staggering. You know, like, like you said, especially the six figure part. Like, exactly. 6%. Yes, exactly. It's kind of yeah. wild. This may or may not surprise you, but, and where I get this from was from Lisa Nichols, but during an interview, she said that her company did a study around what the average speaker was making. And of course, again, to your point, uh, every person, online as a speaker, you know, you go to every social media page, it's a sought after <laughs> keynote speaker. And yes. yet almost every person I talk to says, how do I get paid to speak? Well, if you're, <laughs> if you're sought after, then you'd be getting paid to speak all the time. I mean, that's a whole other conversation, right? But I mean, to me, when you put sought after, that means people are reaching out saying, how do I book you and pay you to bring you to my event? But that's a whole other day and different story. But <laughs> the other side to it with Lisa, with their company, what they found, and I'm, I'm going to try to remember the numbers because it is going back about three years, but it was like something like, and this was all speakers, by the way, this wasn't just female speakers, but of all speakers, it was like something like less than 15% make 50,000 a year directly from speaking. And then it was less than 5% make six figures and less than 1% make seven figures. Now this is directly from speaking. So this would be people that are either being paid to speak or they're selling from the stage and converting that. But exactly. again, if you go to it, like, and Janita, if you go to how many social media pages, you go to LinkedIn, how many people are keynote speakers? <laughs> so it's the same type of thing. Like it's easy online. And this is what I guess, I guess I'm getting at what popped up from what you said is it's easy to wear a filter online and make it look like everything exactly. successful, but what's the reality? Exactly, exactly. And that's why when I work with clients and, 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 you know, they want to post on LinkedIn that they are a speaker, I tell them it really doesn't matter because if you are hosting your own events, technically you're a speaker, you know, like you have a podcast, you're a speaker, you know, you really don't need to highlight that. Um, you know, I think um, I, I worked with a, a, with a mentor and, and, and he told me many years ago, you know, just create your own events and, 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 and you're a speaker and, and you sell your own, your own products and services. And there you go. So that was always my strategy. Um, but I know that there's a, a, a sort of a, like a cachet associated with, you know, being a speaker and it sounds good and, and be, especially being a TEDx speaker, like that's the creme de la creme and everyone aspires to that. But yes, going back to the numbers, it's always important to go back to the numbers. Well, you know, this is, a, I mean, this is kind of current in front of mind for me because I, 
I had a video or I, I was doing an interview around our influencer vault about two weeks ago with one of our students from our, our actually that we helped uh, her land her two TEDx talks. So when, since you brought up TEDx and she was saying, uh, it was during an interview live. So like, it was not like, Hey, can you record this video for me? It was like in the moment. So it was even more powerful to me, but she actually threw tears. So she started crying, talking about how she's a single mother. And this goes back to another thing. She said, I don't have a man to rely on, but it goes back to what you said earlier, but sometimes our beliefs. And she said, I'm a single mother raising my kids alone. And because of the work that I did with you, I crossed the six figure threshold for the first time in my life. And what's funny is I had some people, when I shared that video, they're like, I wouldn't even share that video if she's only crossed six figures. And, and so the point is how many people are saying they're at seven figures and maybe even eight figures that we're not getting a chance to see that actual, um, their PayPal account or their bank account. And it's easy for them to say that, but there's a reason why when I share that video, it resonates with people. And I think it's because of what you said is most people aren't that level. Exactly. And that's what women need to see. That's my point. They need to see stories like that. You know, not uh, someone with you know, 10,000 Instagram followers. Well, that's and driving in, you know, gender equity, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you another thing, uh, and then I'll move away from this, but it, it is, it's something I'm very passionate about, this whole idea of us living an unfiltered life meaning not trying mm-hmm. to filter these things, but mm-hmm. I'm on this, I'm inside this um, coaching group. So I'm not going to say enough to reveal which group it is, but I will say there's thousands and thousands of coaches in there. And what's funny, and, and you'll appreciate this, I think as well. <laughs> First of all, I believe that anytime somebody has to tell you that they're an influencer or tell you how much money they're making, like on a regular basis, they're probably not making that amount of money. Uh, first of all, you know, like if, if somebody has to say in everything they post eight figure earner, then yes. Either, either they're not making it that as much as they say, or B, I don't want to work with them anyway, you know, because I, if that's what they're focused on all the time, then I'm not interested. It's too much. Too much, exactly. But here's what I found interesting inside that coaching group, when somebody will say, how many people, you know, I'm trying to get over this threshold, let's say, how many people in here in their first year, and, and the person asking it seems sincere, like, I just want to see if I'm kind of on target. How many people in their first year as a coach made more than 10,000 a month? And it's so funny, Anjanita, and I think it's an ego thing, like people trying to compete, but people will start saying, I wouldn't even get out of bed for less than 10,000 a day. And like, they're literally talking like that to each other. And I'm just like, it's a, no wonder why I don't visit this group often. Like, it's, <laughs> it seems like every person in that group, and we're talking, you know, thousands, like over 10,000, every person in that group, I guess, is making $70 million coaching. Exactly. And, and here's the thing. This is just my take. But if you're making that much, how, how can you spend so much time in a coaching group talking to people for five and six hours a day? Just exactly. Something, something exactly. So anyway, I'm just glad you brought that up because <laughs> not that I want the numbers to be lower than we believe, but I think it's important that we know what the reality is if we're ever going to break that cycle. Exactly. And, and, and that's why I advise women to focus on the real numbers. And, and I, it's not sexy, but you should focus on the real numbers. And so you know, I've been in those groups where people brag about, you know, I had a $10,000 day. Well, I think we've all had a $10,000 day, but the goal is to have a $10,000 day every day or at least every month, Absolutely. you know? And, and so the whole idea of high ticket, high ticket selling, you know, I think, I think, you know, sell consistently, you know, is more important than bragging about, you know, I, I just sold a, a high ticket 
package and uh, that's your only sale in, in 90 days. You know, sell every day, sell something every day. That, that's more empowering. Absolutely. And, and I'm glad you bring this up because I don't get to talk with this often because again, it's that area that, you know, especially on a show about influence, nobody wants to talk about. But until we do, we're never going to get past that. I mean, I'll give you a exa- great example. And then I do want to go down one more rabbit hole before we finish up. Oh, <laughs> But I, I, I mean, I'll give you another example. Uh, to me, like this idea that nobody wants to talk about the reality of, of what's really happening is whenever I started helping people get paid to speak. And here's the thing. I won't teach on anything I haven't done and, can, and, and I have to be able to prove I've done it. Like, in other words, I won't teach you on something unless I can prove I've done it. So, you know, if it's TEDx, I mean, I've landed three TED Talks in a short amount of time. It's all there for people to see. As a speaker, I mean, my clients were commenting online weekly when I was uh, traveling and speaking weekly about bringing me in to speak. So unless I can prove I've done it, I'm not going to try to teach somebody else. But what I found interesting is I have these conversations with speakers that I didn't know any better because I didn't know them well enough to know, but they'd tell me they're crushing it and they're doing this and that. And then after like two or three years, they come to me privately in a Facebook message and say, you know, can you teach me how you're getting paid to speak so often? And the sad (laughs) part is, is why did you hide that for two years? You lost two years of where you could have been impacting more lives and also improving your own life. But it was, I think it's like an ego thing. I don't want to share that with somebody, but I mean, if, if it came to, for example, HR, you know, HR leadership or comp or governing with HR. If you ask me that, I'm going to be the first to tell you, I have no clue. Like how, you know, what the rules are around HR. So I'm not going to try to teach that and personal branding. I get it. And I've done it myself, but I'm not going to teach that. And so I don't get why somebody will pretend they're crushing it in an area they're not when they could hire somebody or work with somebody that could help them crush it in that area, or at least, and you don't have to say it publicly. I'm not saying those speakers should say, I'm not speaking as much as I'm, you know, I'd like to publicly, but at least, you know, be willing to admit it to somebody else who's not going to share it with anybody privately. It's just a weird, weird because, dichotomy. It, you know, I, I lived in Los Angeles for many years and Los Angeles, you know, birthed a lot of experts on Century Boulevard. I'm sure you've, I'm sure you've been to some of those conferences on Century Boulevard and um, a lot of experts, you know, rolled out of seminars. And they were told that, you know, in three days, you know, you're an expert. And I think that that's another issue online because people are, are teaching, you know, things that they, they aren't necessarily good at or, or they have yet to master. And so that's why I have this strong level of conviction for sales, communication, and networking, because those are the things that I did consistently, you know, those are the things that I, that I mastered. Those are the things that I learned through trial and error. So I can teach women those things. But like you said, you know, there's certain things like I'm not a techie. Like, I don't, I don't talk about tech. I don't, I don't teach funnels. I don't teach like, (laughs) you know, like how to create a webinar. Like I don't teach any of those things. Like I teach what I know and, and what I've mastered in, in over 10,000 hours. So I just think that this online world, you know, needs a makeover. I, I think it's just time. I think that, that it's not, it's not always serving people. And, and I, I don't think it's necessarily serving women. And we, we have to read between the lines. I think it's okay 
to have some of that glitz and glam because I love that, you know, but, um, but it needs to be rooted in substance and style and, and uh, strategy, you know, because it, it's just not helping us evolve. Yeah, such a breath of fresh air, I have to say, because again, I don't hear this enough. And I, I was raised by a single mother. So I have a kind of a vested interest in this and in that I want to see women rise and I want to see, you know, women take the place where they, you know, where they, I, in my opinion, should be, you know, it's sort of at the, and I mean, I think, you know, at the end of the day, I don't mean that like, you know, one should be above another on a pedestal or anything like that, but I just okay. mean like, like for too long, too many, I feel, I feel too many females haven't experienced their best life. And I think it's time that that changes. That's just my personal opinion. But I think it's time that that changes. And I think it's possible. And, you know, even in my own world, I mean, I, I've now I've, I've, said, I've seen one area where it's improved. Now, the one thing I can't, again, I mean, I can't speak for what's fully behind the scenes all the time. But with our events and our, um, like, blue talks and different things we do, one thing I can tell you that's a good sign is when I started doing that, say, seven years ago, it's probably like, 65 75% men and at the time that was even still impressive like that there were you know it was 35 to 40% female like that was even a high number now no joke it's like 85 to 90% in our blue talks for example whether it's our live events whether it's our book series uh people come into our TEDx program it's like 80 to 90% female so I feel like it's finally switching but again I don't know how that um translates into the results in the bigger picture, which is what you're talking about. I mean, so I don't know how that translates, but at least I feel like now there's so many amazing, brilliant speakers, female speakers out there in the world, and we're finally seeing a switch there. So at least I like seeing that happen. Oh yeah, there's, there's a lot of opportunity for us right now. We just have to be willing to step up and we have to be prepared. 100%. And so as we wind down, let me ask you this. What is the, um, I guess when you're talking to or coaching uh, somebody you're working with, what do you tell them is a good starting point? Like, how do we start shifting what we're talking about here? How do we start uh, taking the power back for females? Uh, how do we start showing them the social capital they have is, is truly capital? I think it's communication. And we put too much emphasis on content and messaging, but we need to learn how to communicate effectively. And, you know, it goes back to sales. One of the reasons why women struggle with sales is because they don't know how to communicate the value of their offer. And I love this quote by Warren Buffett. You know, I love the word billion. So <laughs> billionaires he said, if you want to increase your net worth by 50%, hone your communication skills. Mm -hmm. But it's one of those things that, you know, you're not going to find trending on Facebook or Instagram because everyone's talking about messaging. Oh, the, the, the perfect brand message or post 16 pieces of content every day. But it's that communication piece that's going to elevate you. It's going to allow you to connect with the right people. And it's gonna allow you to spot opportunities because you're having those strategic conversations. So I would, I would always, always, always say communication. And I think it's, it's, it's one of the, the great, um, I, I, I believe it's missing 
from the equation when it comes to women's leadership and a lot of these online programs out there. They're not teaching women how to communicate effectively and powerfully. Well, I'll say uh, amen to that. And I'll also ask you, what are your thoughts in terms of, since we're on that topic of communication skills, what are your thoughts around for, whether it's, I guess we'll say for women or men, but what are your thoughts around groups like Toastmasters and Rotary and places for people to go and actually hone those skills? Like, do you think that's an area where people should look at if they're struggling with communication? I think that's a good place to go. Absolutely. I mean, I've only been to one meeting, actually twice, two, two meetings in my life. And I think it's a good place to go. But I think the way to communicate is just to get in the habit of talking to people and listening. You know, people are too focused on, I, I think because of inter, the inter, internet, the social media landscape, a lot of people are, are not having two-way conversations. They're, they're just, they're one-sided. So when you go out into the world, people don't know how to communicate. They're not listening. They're not asking questions. They're not asking the right questions. They're not asking at the right time. They're not asking the right people. Like they're, they're out of sync because they're not exercising that muscle. You, you need to just communicate with people, have conversations every day, real conversations, develop yourself, you know, open yourself to other subject matters, other people, and I think that that is what will lead to more powerful communication. And remember, I didn't go to college, but I can communicate with anyone, anywhere, anytime because I've developed that skill set. And, and people often say to me, women say to me, you know, I'm intimidated. I don't know what to say. Find a common denominator. You know, I can find a common denominator with anyone, but, but people don't listen. They don't do the research. You know, they just want to drive their agenda, quote unquote, sell their stuff. And then they wonder why they're having difficulty because, you know, you can't rely on posting content. You know, some people can, but not everyone can build their business that way. So I think communication is key. It's at the heart of everything, heart of sales, at the heart of networking, everything. So I want to ask you one more thing about communication. And then with your permission, I'm going to ask three quick questions uh, that I always like to ask the guests that we bring on. But sure. the, uh, as far as the communication side of things, I love what you also highlighted there. And that's the fact that it can be learned. And I think that's important because, you know, I started, I, oh, I shared this earlier. I, you know, I didn't, gra I barely graduated high school. And I say I barely graduated. One of my teachers gave me a 49 plus one in a class I needed a 50. And I'm pretty confident he did that. So I would always know I barely graduated. Like it was like um, almost a, you know, one of those, you didn't earn this. So you better make sure you earn other things in life. That's yeah. how I took it. And so I didn't, you know, I didn't have most likely to succeed or even likely to succeed in my yearbook. As I said, I didn't know the difference between fiction and nonfiction. And then years later ended up writing books. But what I've learned, and it goes back to your point about 10,000 hours, regardless of what it is, I firmly believe the 10,000 hour rule that you can learn and become masterful or at least much better at anything if you put in that time. And you know, this isn't a me ink statement, but here's a guy that again, barely graduated high school, told by my vice principal I wouldn't amount to anything, which is always great to hear from your vice principal. And <laughs> you know, I that same person years later, and I, I feel blessed that this happened, got to deliver three TED Talks, speak on stage at Harvard, and speak at universities teaching professors 
you know, as the guy barely graduated high school. And so, and this all, and I say all this related to communication, clearly you can learn to be a better communicator. Absolutely. It's so easy and it's fun. It's so fun. I, I love, I mean, I, I, I don't travel as much as I used to, but I loved going to the airport because I would meet so many people on the plane, you know, conversa- conversations, I'm always happy to have a conversation and, and um, going back to networking and, and build that Rolodex because you never know, you never know. Love it. Awesome. And so, uh, like I said, last three quick questions, uh, you know, answer as quick as you want, but these are Uh-oh. three rapid fire <laughs> questions. Now they're, they're pretty low. Well, you know what? I was going to say they're, they're pretty low key, but the truth is they are deep questions, but um, I always say, just go with the answer that pops into your mind. But the first one is, uh, do you think it's important? And I'm going to specifically use the word passion, not purpose, but do you think it's important for us to find something we're passionate about in life? And if so, why? Absolutely, because I think that when you have passion, it makes things easier. I think too often we we try to do things that we're not good at because we think we're supposed to do them or it's a trend. And I think that passion is is what will drive you, but passion will also give you the resilience you need during those times where you have to overcome obstacles. So I, I, I think passion is, is definitely key. Love it. How about legacy? What would you like your legacy to be? Well, I'm on a mission to help 10 million women build social capital and monetize their networks. So that's my legacy. Like I want to be the woman that shifts this category and this space. Also a great answer. I love that as well. My last question is actually the basis for my my TEDx, one of my TEDx talks, which is around, it's, I call it the time machine question, but it's as simple as this. If you could jump into a time machine, go back and talk to a younger version of yourself, give her some life advice based on what you've learned in the years since, what do you think you might tell her? Don't be so hard on yourself. That is amazing. I love that. And I'll tell you why it's because one, what I wanted to do with my TEDx part of one of my goals was to, sh- to help people learn this stuff years earlier. Cause it seems like in interviews, we all learn this stuff at age 50 or 55 or 60. And I'm like, imagine if we could all learn this when we were 20. And so I was trying to share with people, here's what 5,000 of the world's top leaders have said when asked this question. So maybe we should start practicing it before rather than wait and have to learn it. But I bring all this up because the most common theme I've discovered is people saying, well, along the lines of what you're worried about today won't matter in a year's time. Stop uh, telling yourself you're not doing it quick enough. Stop trying to push yourself further. You don't have to be in a rush. Don't change what you're doing now because if you change anything, you won't become the person you're meant to be. Like all the, and it's all, I feel at least, it's all around that same message of try try to stop being so hard on yourself. Exactly. And I want to cry right now, okay? (laughs) Because because I think about just just the pressure that girl was under. And it, 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 it makes me sad, but, um, but I'm glad, I'm glad she, she hung in there. Uh, well, I'm glad as well, because obviously, you know, you're, you're, you've already impacted a lot of lives and many more to come. So, and Janita, this has been an absolute pleasure. I knew it would be uh, the last question, which is kind of the unofficial question, but maybe the most important one for those that have been listening on this journey with us, learning from you, where would you send them if they want to learn more or connect with you further? 
Absolutely. Go to femglobal500.com and you can connect with me and, and join the guest list because I host the number one business networking event for women, networking in stilettos, live on Zoom. We have about two to 300 women. So join the guest list and, um, and I'll, I look forward to meeting you at the next live event. Amazing. Well, like I say, this has been an absolute pleasure. With your permission, I am going to call it a to be continued. To be continued. Thank you so much, Corey. This was awesome. You're awesome. Well, I sh- 6,500 interviews. <laughs> well, you know what? Each, each one uh, helps me become better. So I thank you for being a part of that and, uh, and for making this easy for me today. So thank you. Thank so you. Much. Thank you so much. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.